This message was recorded at Devoted Leaders, a leadership conference hosted by Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit ChristCentralChurches.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a terrific joy to be here and in this great place and with so many friends, uh, some that I've known for so many years and not seen necessarily for very long, and also new friends I've already met in the last couple of days that have been so uh, delightful and impressive. Uh, so it's a joy to be here. It was a thrill to hear Jeremy yesterday and to be in that worship time uh, this morning and uh, that God-centered worship which I so enjoyed, so focused on Jesus together, uh, a real delight. And I hope I can be a blessing to you uh, in this seminar and that we can carry on getting blessed in our time together. Let's just ask God to help us. Father, we thank you so much for your commitment to us, your delight in us, your joy in us. We pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit just right now to rest on us. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest on us. Lead us into truth that will help us fortify us in our walk with you. Lord, we need you. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, forgive my voice. I'm, I, I picked up uh, a throat thing, which I think I'm recovering from, praise the Lord. Uh, so, to walk with God. I think what I want to say right from the beginning is that when someone says they're going to talk about prayer or Bible study or that kind of thing, you can sometimes feel that kind of, oh dear, I'm going to feel that weight of uh, guilt, uh, condemnation, I don't do enough, and so on. And I want to right from the beginning say that is uh, completely inappropriate because of our experience of the grace of God. And so for me, that uh, walking with God has its roots in enjoying his favor. That wasn't always the case for me. Uh, when I first got saved, I was terribly backslidden. I think of this song we sometimes sing about, I stuck out of that grave and I ran into his glorious light. Well, I, I got saved and went straight into backsliding. Um, I can hardly sing that truth with reality uh, because I, I was a terrible mess uh, for about four or five years as a Christian. And, uh, and then one day, uh, arrested by uh, a sermon where I felt God said this, I felt he said, I want your life, I want it now, and I won't speak to you about this again. And it absolutely terrified me because I'd been a Christian for, I don't know, four years maybe, and I knew I was a bad Christian, and I knew I was leading a very bad life, and I constantly felt conviction, but I kind of never could keep up this Christian life. And I thought, God, if you don't speak to me again, where will I finish up? Because I knew, I knew now, I knew the gospel was real. I knew the day I got saved, I knew it was real. I never questioned the reality of it, but I was living terribly inconsistently. And the, the thought of just being left to drift off really scared me. So I gave my life to God unreservedly. I was, uh, every night I was at a church meeting and I gave up a whole lifestyle. And uh, I started reading books uh, about men, particularly I used to travel to London every day um, 
I, I worked in London, lived in Brighton, so I had an hour on the train every day. And until this moment, I used to play three-card brag on the play, I used to play cards on the train. But after this, right, I started reading, and I read books about people like Hudson Taylor and C.T. Studd and these great people, George Muller and so on. And it captivated me reading these biographies of men of prayer, men of faith, men who accomplished great things. And it really stirred me. And, and I thought, right, I've got to give up that whole lifestyle. And I kind of gave away everything. I, I gave up gave my jazz records as though that was a terrible thing to do. Uh, I gave away drinking. I gave away smoking. I gave away disgusting language. I gave up uh, a whole lifestyle and threw myself in. And often trying to pray, but the, the first thing when you stop praying was that kind of voice of Satan who is the accuser of the brothers, who accuses us day and night. We tend to think of Satan as being in downtown, you know. Don't go down there, you won't meet Satan. No, Satan comes to your prayer times and says, is that it then? Is that what you're going to do? Aren't you going to pray longer? Uh, and so on. And, and you can sometimes feel, when you've prayed, oh, I should have prayed longer. I should have prayed more. And very often, the very devotion we're trying to bring to God is mingled with a sense of, I didn't do very well. And so for me, for some years actually, you know, as a pastor, I got baptized in the spirit and other things, I was still carrying that until I saw the grace of God. And for me, seeing the grace of God was incredibly releasing. It was like being born again again. Uh, I thought, it says of the early believers when Jesus was alive from the dead, it said that they couldn't believe for joy. And it was like that for me when I suddenly saw grace. I thought, wow, this is like too, this is too good to be true. And I felt God actually whispered to me, I will persuade you of this. Because at first I felt I'd seen a break in the clouds and seen some sunshine. I thought, is that possible? Is that? And the clouds drifted over again. And I thought, I wonder. And I felt God whispered into my heart, I will persuade you this is true. And I saw grace that he, by one sacrifice, has perfected me for all time. As it says in Hebrews, I thought, oh, God, this is so wonderful. I don't have to earn points by my prayer life. I don't have to earn points by reading my Bible and say, Lord, I read a whole chapter today. Okay, is that all right? And you know, I prayed for half an hour. Is that impressive? You know, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. I can sleep through my quiet time and still be righteous. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful uh, because he's done it. It's finished. It's all over. It is completed. I have accomplished it. It is finished. And so all that cloud of trying to earn, trying to earn my way through, uh, just went. It's just wonderfully, gloriously releasing. And for us as leaders, dear friends, we've got to stand on that ground because leaders are even more susceptible to that sense of, am I worthy? You'll be fighting that for many years. Am I doing enough? Did I pray hard enough? Did I do it enough? Unless, and so we have to keep coming back to this celebration of grace because it sets us free. Otherwise, you'll be doing stuff for the wrong motives. You'll be doing things hoping to earn points with God, be impressive to others, make sure you're not letting anybody down, and, and they, these are not the right motivations. So your walk with God must be founded on grace, to know that you're beloved, delighted in, accepted. It's so releasing, it it's just changes everything for us. So talking, as we are, about walking with God, for me, um, my prayer life, for instance, is increasingly a worship time 
as well as an intercessory time. I don't know what the proportions are. It might even be half and half these days. I can't stop worshipping. I want to praise him and sing to him. And so, uh, you know, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So I have a temple service every morning. I just enjoy Jesus. I find myself singing songs and worshipping him. And many years ago, I heard a guy called Barney Coombs say, worship is saying to God what you want to say to him in song. And uh, that's right. And sometimes some songs are being sung. And I think, why is that being sung? I don't want to say that to God. I, 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 love, I love the way we started this morning. I love the way we were led in worship. It was so God-centered. And sometimes even worship in our meetings is not terribly God-centered. Uh, I guess it's been more difficult these days to find the songs. I think in the past we had the privilege of it's like the Stonely Bible Week, going back into distant history, uh, where we come up with another two or th- you know maybe twenty or thirty new songs each year. It used to be I don't know reflecting our passion, very God-centered, very prophetic songs, and that used to come year in year after year. Great songs, great things to sing, and of course that's gone now. And so often musicians are kind of listening. Can we hear a song coming from somewhere? And a lot of it's coming from consumer Christianity that is based on me and how fulfilled am I. And we're often singing songs like that. And I feel, no, I would never sing those sort of songs when I'm worshiping God. And I don't like much singing them in meetings. I want to be God-centered right from this morning, right from the beginning, right focusing in on God. So I sing a lot. Uh, So for me, uh, walking with God is celebrating his love, and it's full of truth. I still sing Dave Fellingham songs, which were, <laughs> most mornings you will hear a Dave Fellingham song in my worship time, because they were just scripture set to song. I'm singing my way through Ephesians, and I'm singing, thank you, Lord, for these truths. Thank you for these truths. Thank you that you've made me. Thank you, I can call you Father. And I just celebrate my sonship before I start praying. I start worshipping and worshipping. I was singing tongues, uh, enjoy him. I find that when use of tongues, I, I took note, I think Jackie Pullinger was the first person I heard say that she spoke in tongues for, what was it, half an hour every morning. And uh, I've not tried to copy her, but I've given a lot of space for speaking in tongues, singing in tongues, engaging with the Holy Spirit. And so for me, prayer isn't like it's some heavy duty, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, to me, it's often the highlight of my day, just enjoying God, being with Him, experiencing fellowship with Him. It's a massive, massive pleasure to my heart. And so I think it's important for us to see that, that prayer. Sometimes people say, when you pray, start with confession, you know, because you can clear the decks then. And you hear people say that publicly, you know, start by confessing your sin. And I think it's a total mistake. Um, it sounds kind of clear, clear the decks first, clean up your soul first kind of thing. I think it's totally wrong because you've got an accuser. So you say, you start with, Lord, I'm sorry about this. You'll find the accuser will say, and what about that too? Oh yeah, and that, and that. And it's like you just get dragged down. Instead, so you come to God sin conscious instead of God conscious. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, our Father. Now, now, if you use the Lord's Prayer, which I do, you'll find, I don't just say it, I find it a helpful structure. 
Uh, you'll, you'll find later on you will say, and forgive us our trespasses. You know, I don't, I don't think we're in sinless perfection. But I do believe that sometimes we need our feet washed. Jesus said, you know, you're clean, but I need to wash your feet. Uh, to Peter. You remember that encounter with Peter? You're not washing my feet. No, I need to. But wash me all over then. No, no, you're clean. But you know, just, I need to not wash your feet. And, and, and so, you know, if you use the Lord's Prayer, I, I find it a helpful structure so that one comes to, yeah, and Lord, is there anything, is there anything that's offending you? I think it's important for us to see God's called us holy. We're, we're holy. We're saints of God. We're, we're at home in his presence. We're children of the king. That is our standing. I have difficulty with Christians who insist on calling themselves sinners. The Bible doesn't call us sinners. It calls us saints. God has made us saints by virtue of our relationship with Jesus. We are saints. We're at home in the presence of God. And we may sometimes need some forgiveness for things, but we don't lose our identity. We don't say, oh, I blundered. I'm a sinner after all. No, 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 no. You're a saint. You're holy. You're acceptable. You're a child of the King. So we come with worship. We come with praise. We come delighting in Him. That's... uh, for me, uh, it's such a vital key. And of course, as I say, I do, use, I do use that shape of the Lord's Prayer. I find it helpful. And so I find that I pray, Lord, you know, your, your name be hallowed. And sometimes that's a great big prayer for revival. Lord, we long for your name to be hallowed. We see our nation so desperately losing its way. And we know that they can't legislate for godliness. We thank God for the, the Roe Wade thing that's happened in America now. Thank God you can get some legislation, but that's probably the result of much, much prayer that's happened there. But in the end, you can only reflect what's happening among the people, and that will only come through the church. So we pray for, Lord, let your name be hallowed. Let your people celebrate you. Let your people love you, magnify you. Let your church come alive. Although we were hearing recently even what Ginny just said in the meeting, Lord, let your church come alive in the spirit. I'm praying for that. And, you know, might focus that in different places. It might be, you know, Romania this day, or it may be Ukraine, or it may be wherever, Mexico. We might pray, focus it. Your kingdom come. Praying for a breakout of supernatural activity. Uh, Let the kingdom of God come. I find it a helpful way. Uh, Sometimes we we see the Lord's Prayer as a sort of children's thing. Yeah, let's say the Lord's Prayer. It's children. No, it was the apostles, Jesus' leading guys, he said, teach us to pray. And he gave this prayer to the apostles. It wasn't for children. It wasn't for, it wasn't for Roman Catholics to say, you know, go and say 10 Our Fathers. It's, no, it's a, it's a structure, a helpful way of praying. And then let's pray your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we're saying, Lord, what do you want? Let your purposes unfold. And so, you know, what, what are my priorities, Lord? Help me to find my priorities. One of the biggest challenges in leadership where shall my priorities lie? What should I say yes to? What shall I have the courage to say no to? Uh, we, need, we need the wisdom of God. So I'm always saying, Lord, show me. What, is I meant to, what am I meant to be doing? Uh, so that's a helpful structure. Your kingdom, your will. Give us today's provision. I pray for that. Today's provision, Lord. That makes it immediate. Like today, I want you today. Uh, and that will include bread. But for me, it includes everything. Lord, help me today. Give me the grace I need for today. And then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. 
So, you know, let's make sure that we're keeping in good relationship. And leadership, you can't afford not to forgive. In leadership, you'll be offended, you'll be hurt, people will let you down. Maybe through COVID, you've been disappointed. Where did, where did they go? Oh, I thought they were with us. Um, if, if you get offended easily, you're going to struggle with leadership. You've got to be able to be free from offense and easier forgiveness. You, you know, I've been in this game uh, for many years. Many things can offend you. If you let offense get into your soul, you become a troubled person. So we've got to be ever so good at forgiving, ever so good at letting people off the hook and not carrying grudges. And so forgive me, Lord, as I forgive. Help me in it, Lord. And then don't lead us into temptation. Don't put us to the test. It's hard to know how best to translate that. But I pray it. I say to God, whatever it means, don't let it happen. <laughs> don't lead me there. Please don't lead me there. I, I pray that. Frequently, I mean daily, the word daily appears in that prayer. So I use this, I use this virtually, virtually daily. And so I say, please don't lead me into temptation. We know of people who suddenly think, what, how could that have happened to him? And we hear of kind of high profile guys in this last few years, you think, wow, another name. So I, I pray this, don't lead me into temptation. I pray this, deliver me from evil. I pray it. Let me invite you. I pray it daily. Deliver me from the world and its values. To be honest, even the Christian world and its values. Deliver me from worldliness with all its forms. Please deliver me from it. Deliver me from the flesh, my own flesh. Deliver me from it. I want to be delivered from it on a daily basis. And the devil, deliver me from the devil. Deliver me from his subtlety, his roaring, his deceitfulness, deliver me from accidents, deliver me from sickness. I pray these things. I pray, Lord, you're my deliverer and you will I trust. I'm praying, deliver me today. See, beloved, when we hear of uh, people, you think, God, how did, he, how did that, that happen to him? We, we need to understand, none of us is, is going to be, you know, we're so secure in ourselves. No, we won't be. The lessons are screaming from the housetops. You're not going to be free from temptation unless you need God. You need God to help you. And so we pray. I pray for it. Lord, deliver me. Keep delivering me. And sometimes people say to me, you're an old guy. How long have you been going in this? And, and, I, and that's my testimony. I keep asking God to deliver me, that he will be, keep me free, and that he might be my deliverer. So Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. So for me, that's been, that's been an important part. So celebration, for me, prayer is celebration, worship. You're wonderful, you're exalted, you're the king, I'm welcome into your presence. You, you invite me in, you say you go to you prepare a place for me, I'll come and receive you to myself, that where I am, you can be also. Yes, Lord, I'm up for that, I'm up for that. That's what I believe that's talking about in John's gospel. I don't think he's getting a room giving a room of fresh lick of paint for when I die. It's, I believe God to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you can be. I'll come and receive you to myself. I can be in his presence. Paul uses different language. He says, we're seated with him in heavenly places. We're with him. We can fellowship with him. We can enjoy companionship with him. So prayer isn't a heavy burden. It's not, oh, do you have to pray? 
When I first got saved, that's how it came to me. Oh, now you're a Christian, I was told you must have a quiet time. I thought, that's a quaint phrase. What on earth does that mean, a quiet time? And then I was told, you have to pray. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like one of those things you have to do. And it's like, oh, God, okay, got it. And you have to read your Bible. Oh, okay, got to do that as well. It's like these things you have to do. It's like duties you have to perform. And I, I'm, I'm trying to say, no, that's not how I see it at all. I see it as an opportunity to enjoy his love. That's what the Bible tells me, that he delights over me with singing. So let's enjoy the singing. Let's get into that atmosphere of his love. Celebrate it on a daily basis. Don't say, yeah, I believe in grace. No, enjoy the wonder of it. And, you know, you need to sometimes work at that. When you've, when you've had a terrible Sunday, you know, you preached an absolute bummer, and you want to go and kill yourself. <laughs> you know, I've been there many times. Even from the Stonely platform, I go and say, oh, God, I let all those people down. And you want to kill yourself. You have to say, no, Lord, I just come. I'm going to celebrate your grace. You have to be strong in grace. You have to fight for grace sometimes. Because everything in you thinks, I'm such a waste of time. Think, no, Lord, you love this waste of time. It's a, it's a diligent commitment of yourself to grace, a celebrating of it because of who he is and how he is and how he has poured out his love for us. We have sometimes to fight for it because you feel so wretched in yourself. Think, no, no, I'm not going to stay there. I can't serve God's people if I stay there. I need to get back into his sweet favor. I know I can't earn it. I know I can't do something to make up for yesterday's blunder. It's grace. And so you've got to, you've got to get into the favor of God. And uh, that's a daily thing for me, just enjoying his favor, celebrating how wonderful he is. And then out of that, you find his heart stirring in you, things that he cares about beginning to stir in our hearts. And we're praying for his name to be glorified, his kingdom to come, all that is of God to break out. That's what we long for. And then I find the Lord's Prayer very helpful in this uh, uh, walk with God. I find it a structure that is truly helpful to me. So we could say more, but that's, I think, perhaps a foundation about praying. Uh, and then, yeah, yes, reading the Word. I think the approach to Scripture, for me, I, over the years, I've tried all sorts of different approaches, and I think that's quite helpful to keep changing. And uh, so for me... I started, I went to, as a young Christian on a thing called a Bible meditation course, and I, I, I did that for years, uh, in a particular approach to meditating on Scripture. And then, and then I, I tend to focus on kind of one, one you might be picking things, you're t you're maybe in one psalm or one epistle, and it kind of takes forever get working through it, and you kind of forget, who was Abraham? You know, where did David come? And... Uh, I, I, I started picking up the Murray McShane Bible reading plan. Well, Murray McShane is just one of those Bible reading plans that takes you right through the Bible. And uh, the Murray McShane one takes you through the whole Bible. I think Psalms twice, maybe New Testament twice, maybe. It takes you through, through, through. And I thought, I'm going to do that. And so I started doing that. And I thought I'd do it for a year. And I found it very difficult because I'm not getting anything out of this. When I was doing the meditation, I was digging in and getting my concordance and following a theme, and I quite enjoyed it. But I thought, I'm, I'm, just, I'm very focused on one small passage, and I'm forgetting the whole plot. And uh, so I thought, I need to get the whole plot again. So I, I read th right through in the year, and uh, 
I, I finally I thought, I'll just do it for a year. And I didn't like it. Because I thought, well, I'm just, I'm just racing through them. Because I've got four passages to read every day. And I, I thought, I'm not getting much out of this. But, you know, by the end of the year, I thought, actually, that was, that was quite good. I think I might do that again. So I did it for a few years, reading the whole Bible through in the Murray McShane Bible reading plan, which is probably one of the most famous Bible reading plans. And then I, I thought, no, I want to get back to a more detailed thing. So my present situation, and I, I wouldn't want to impose any way of reading the Bible on anybody. I think it's the, way that the, the best way for you. So for me at the moment, for some years now, I guess, I, I've, been, I've been reading the Murray McShane thing over two years instead of one. So it doesn't take so long on a given day. Uh, I can read over two years uh, through the whole thing. That's good for me. It keeps the whole thing. And sometimes it amazes me uh, how, when I did it, even with the four, sometimes amazing. Wow, that passage and that passage and that passage, and how it speaks into your life. It, it kind of surprised me because you're not detailed. You're reading lots. But I found it somehow used to tie together with my life and with one another's passages. Um, so I found it, it's more nourishing than I expected it to be. But I find too that I do like to get into. So latterly, I, I tend to use a, a, a commentary. And so uh, I, I've been, I, I, I worked through it. I, I, last year or so, I worked through uh, Schneider's commentary on Hebrews, which I was so helped by. So that will take me like, I don't know, perhaps a few months to go through a commentary verse by verse. When I, I keep a little journal, I, I'm writing, so I'm going through a Hebrews verse by verse, and that might take me two or three months to go through. When I finished that, I went through his new, new commentary on Romans. I've just finished that, and I'm going through Colossians, Douglas Moo. And so I find it really stimulating to get into detail, uh, uh, focus, and I, and I particularly enjoy working the epistles. Now, I, this is, I, I honestly believe this is so important for us that, you know, Jesus said, well, we all know this, that the New Testament sheds more light than the Old. Now, we, we know the whole thing's inspired, and I love, I love working on Old Testament. I've just written a book about Moses. I love, I love working on Old Testament studies. But the New Testament brings more light to us. There's more revelation for us in the New uh, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. But we also know this. Jesus said, I've got much more to say to you, but you can't receive it now. When the Spirit comes, he'll lead you into all truth. And he'll take what's mine and reveal it to you. And, and Paul says, these mysteries hidden from previous generations, now revealed now revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And so from my, from my perspective, although I, I take the whole Bible as God-breathed, I feel the epistles are the cream on the milk. The epistles are the, the greatest truths for us to grasp, especially as New Covenant believers. And sometimes you'll find you meet Christians who are still very confused between Old and New Covenant, both in terms of law-keeping or the place of Israel, and all kinds of stuff. You'll find you'll meet people, and they're very entrenched in Old Testament, both in their, their conduct, because they think well, we're still under law, and, and so on. And, 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 and once I was preaching 
on the grace of God. I was preaching in Spain. You know, I can still remember it. It was quite a hot day, and I was preaching on the grace of God, and a gentleman in a dark suit stood up while I was preaching and said, I've never heard such outrageous stuff in my life. I thought, wow, this is exciting. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, if you'll listen, sir, till I've finished, I think you'll see where I'm going. But, you know, that was saying we're not under law. And he, he hadn't got his mind around what the new covenant teaches us. And he felt he was standing for righteousness. He was wrong. And lots of people are wrong because they don't give themselves to what the epistles say. And, and they kind of live in the Psalms, which is beautiful. Or the Gospels, which is wonderful. But, ah, oh, Paul's difficult. No, that's the Gospel. <laughs> that's the new covenant. That's telling us who we are in Christ. And many, many believers don't... If you say... We ought to be able to say to a church full of people, how many here are dead? And, and we should get 100% of hands up if they're believers. Do we not know you have died to sin? Pardon? Do you not know we've died to sin? That's what Paul says. What are you talking about? Now that would be honestly the comeback we get from many, many people. They're not aware of what God says has happened to us. We were crucified with Christ. We've been set free. They don't understand that. Because why? They don't, they don't live in new covenant truth. And so for me, I will spend... You know, I've been I went right through Hebrews, right through Romans. I'm going through Colossians at the moment. I want to devour this stuff. Keep it, keep it fresh in my mind. What God says is now true of us because of Christ. What Christ has accomplished for us. You know, a man died on a cross. Doesn't look very religious to me. It's not at the temple. It's at the scrap heap outside the city. What was happening there? I don't know. Guy died out there. The only way we know what happened there is what the apostles tell us. If we, if we think of what the apostles... What well, is the guy died outside? Goodness knows what was happening there. The apostles tell us what was happening there. But not only that he died for my sin, but when he died, I died. When he was raised, I was raised. When he was seated, I was seated. See, beloved, we ought to know that. And we ought to be deeply persuaded of that so that we can teach our people that. So I will spend my, most of my, not all of it, I worked through Matthias' um, commentary on uh, Isaiah recently. I went all the way through that. But it, it, it's great to stay in the epistles because it gets it into your mind. Since you have died, then you're now seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, you just let, I find for myself that, that reading the Bible, for me, studying the epistles nourishes me all the time. And, and we walk worthy of this extraordinary thing God's done for us. And so for me, uh, walking with God is, 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 yeah, enjoying God in prayer, letting the Word teach me. But I find it helpful to keep reading the whole thing. Uh, you know, just keep reading through, reading through. So both those work for me. And I can do that without being too time-consuming. Uh, so that you know, as I say, just reading through, uh, and sometimes a bit of speed reading, reading through the whole Bible, uh, and then at the same time concentrating. And for me, the epistles particularly, particularly, are helpful and nourishing. So uh, these are, if you like, important aspects of, uh, of our walk with God, enjoying Him, uh, experiencing His favor, and knowing His presence 
with us, hugely important. I think that there are other obvious things that are key to our experience. I think that faith is huge. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And, and, and we need to cultivate faith. I sometimes I, I, I wonder how some people think, gosh, that guy's ministry, and yet you think, well, he says such silly things, and yet amazing things happen through him. And, you know, you get people who think, gosh, why? his theology is a bit wobbly, but amazing things happen when he acts. I think God blesses faith disproportionately, right? And you read Hebrews 11, you think, hasn't God read the Old Testament? <laughs> These amazing people that uh, did, and it speaks of them so favorably in Hebrews 11, that list of the heroes of faith. And you think, doesn't God know the Old Testament, you know, Abraham and stuff? Hasn't he read the whole thing? And you think, no, no, God, God loves faith and somehow applauds faith. And, and it's for people of faith. And so we must not be pragmatic only. Pragmatism isn't inappropriate. But if, if we are just see how it works out, people, and, and we're just down to methodology and learning from the culture, and so much leadership stuff these days is about management, uh, and, you know, we have to learn the management, what's your five-year plan and all that. You don't hear much about faith. I've found that faith is an absolute fundamental to us breaking through. So we need to cultivate faith. We need to believe what God's told us, hold diligently in faith. And we've got to lead the people into faith. As leaders, that's one of our responsibilities. Leading people in prayer is one of the most important things as leaders we ever do. Uh, and if we haven't got faith, you can't lead people in prayer. You can ask them to turn up, make sure they're there. But if we're not, in, if we're not imparting faith in a leadership context, we might as well pack up. Because faith is absolutely fundamental. This is the victory that overcomes. And so we must have ourselves be having faith projects, looking for God to do stuff, and keep our faith bright. Otherwise, we're just forever trying to carry people. But if we can inspire faith in other people and encourage people, and I think the prayer meeting, and I know some of us have abandoned prayer meetings, just a word on that, uh, maybe outside my uh, responsibility in this session, but... Uh, I think, I think that, you know, some of us, people live such busy lives at the moment. You know, husband and wife both working, commuting, all kinds of pressures. And so, prayer is a challenge because, well, we've got a house group, Sunday meeting, and, and we're in great danger of kind of cutting it down, cutting it down, cutting it down. We won't, we won't impose too much on your time. We'll make our meeting shorter. And that's, COVID's done that a bit to us because we're on television now. And so we've cut things back. And I would say, oh, please watch out. Because if not careful, we've got consumer Christianity. And, and we're kind of living, we kind of, that early church, it says they were together. 
And he says it repeatedly. They were together, they were together, they were together. You may, Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, they were together, they were together. They were together at the temple, they were together from house to house. And it's like they were together and then they went out into the world and came back to be together. These days we kind of live in the world and we occasionally go to church. And the culture is discipling us and our kids. See, we mustn't be shocked if we let the culture disciple our kids that when they go through their teenage years, they don't want to know anymore because you let the culture disciple them. Even the teachers at school are saying crazy things to kids now. They're saying to them, well, you may not be a boy, you may be a girl. You may make a choice. That's happening in our schools now. And if we're not discipling our children, if we're not teaching them the Bible, we mustn't be surprised if down the track they start getting very confused and wander off. Because when we don't want to impose Christianity on them, hey, we want to share light with them and truth with them and make sure that we are being shaped in our, we have our own culture, we're God's alternative culture. And so the early church, they were together and I guess went daily out into the world. I think so many Christians are in the world and go to church occasionally, not for too long so as not to trouble them. It's not like one's trying to impose guilt. It's just want to celebrate what it is to be a Christian and to devolve that culture. And so it's so important for us to do that and certainly praying together and inspiring faith is one of the most wonderful things we can do. That we, people start praying and see things happen and they break through in prayer. And so when we say, well, we can't do that anymore because we have a house group and we have this, and we gave up the prayer meeting. I would urge you, rediscover corporate prayer. And it doesn't matter if it starts with a handful. You know, the two or three. Sometimes you say, come and pray. And they say, well, it does say if only two or three are gathered, I'll be there. <laughs> but I find two or three is fun. I love the two or three. I love the two or three. I remember when, when Dave and Henry and I and Brighton were praying together, give us the Clarendon Centre building. Give us that, give us the Clarendon Villas. Give it, and we, we, all, we, we three sat up, we said, hey, we've got it, haven't we? We knew we'd got it. That's just three of us praying. I don't care if there's only three of us. No, but when you find that, that then, then more started coming. More and more and more and more. So what started as three guys on a Thursday morning, there's 15 guys in our homes. We can't do it in our home anymore, so we start going somewhere else. Because coming together in believing prayer, where things happen, gets exciting. And if we don't rediscover that, beloved, if the church is not a praying, believing group, what are we? We're on a losing battle and we're all going down the pan. But no, 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 we're believing God. And so you're, as leaders... We need to communicate faith and we need to inspire faith and encourage faith and lift people's heads in prayer. It's one of our main tasks as leaders to lead people to believe God. If we're not leading people to believe God, what are we leading them into? We're just imposing morality? You're a Christian, you should, you should, you should. We can just be morality preachers instead of come and know God preachers. So we for ourselves must be enjoying him, fellowshipping with him, experiencing his nearness. And then that's again, our walk with God as leaders, I think, I think we do it in team. 
we saw earlier in this meeting, uh, Jeremy gathering guys that he labors with. You know, we work, we're team people. Um, I know team isn't a Bible word, and you need to be careful you don't import team things that you learn from cricket or football that don't actually work in the church. But team together, togetherness is very important. Although we have our individual walk with God, we were not meant to be working out our Christianity alone. You know, one of the things that I found when I first became a Christian and, and threw my lot in, I went to a big Baptist church in Brighton and there was like 700 people on a Sunday. The preacher was terrific, wonderful man, wonderful man. And at the end of the meeting, he'd, he'd very often uh, say this. He said, do not despise the gathering of yourselves together. You know, like be here next Sunday. <laughs> he, often, he often used to say it. Don't forsake the gathering of yourself together. But he only quoted half a verse. Because the rest of the verse is this. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't forsake the gathering, but encourage one another. Now we, we were not actually encouraging one another. In fact, you didn't even speak to one another. Uh, when we went in, we were given the hymn book. As a friend of mine said, you immediately develop religious throat. He gave you the hymn book and you said, thank you very much. And uh, we sat down and, and you weren't allowed to speak in church. Uh, it was a bit like a kind of a library. You don't speak in here. And, uh, and I thank God for what's happened in church life. Because we were not talking to one another. The Bible says, encourage one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Admonish one another. Build one another up. There's, there's over 40 one another verses. 40 one another verses. So in my walk with God, I... I don't want to be alone, ultimately. I want my own roots into Jesus, of course. But ultimately, the one another perspective of being a Christian is very important. And in leadership, so leading as a team is ever so important. That we walk together. And, and if you've got people close enough to, to know to say, you know, I've got a problem. Or, you know. And, and I, that one anothering is, is very important. So that you, you've got other people to help you through. I know for myself, a just silly, terrible personal testimony. I fell in love with Wendy when I was at Bible college. And I wanted to marry her. And uh, I, was, I thought, I'll ask her on her 21st birthday. And I, it was everything in me. I wanted to ask her now. I thought, no, I'll ask her on her 21st. I went, no, 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 okay, the 21st. And it was ridiculous. I was praying early in the morning in a room downstairs, and I saw her walk by. And I, oh, there she is. It's her 21st. I asked her straight away, like before breakfast. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> Not very romantic. Uh, but it's like, oh, the day's come. That's how much I wanted to marry her. And then I went on a Bible meditation course, and I was thrown together with a few young people, girls and guys, and it's like a week after, or two weeks after. And we're in this van, and we're driving around, and we were together about three weeks in this crowd. And this girl sort of kind of came on to me, and I responded. I mean, it was only eye contact, but it was eye contact. And I thought, what? I don't believe that. I was kind of shocked. I thought, I don't believe you, Terry. You just were dying to get married to this girl. And within weeks... Within weeks, you're already aware of another woman's eyes. 
I was profoundly shocked with myself. But happily, I was sharing with a guy who'd become a real friend of mine. And I said to him, I need to talk to you. And I told him, well, I've just told all of you now. I haven't told Wendy. I told him. <laughs> I told him, I said, I just need to tell you, I'm amazed at myself. And so I was able to confess my fault. I wasn't alone as a Christian. Beloved, we're not meant to be alone. I didn't have to go, oh, God, what do I do? I had a brother close enough to say, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm noticing, why am I even noticing that girl's on the planet? I've just asked this one to marry me. What's wrong with me? And I had a brother close enough to say, hey, help. You see, if we haven't got people close enough to cry out quickly, well, we've seen what's happened. So we meant, you know, confess your faults to one another, pray for one another, admonish one another. It's like, how, how easy is it to say to a brother, hey, brother, do you ever listen to your wife? I don't notice that you do. You think, how dare you say, speaking into my private life? Well, isn't that what we're meant to be? But you need to be close enough. You see, otherwise you just notice this brother never listens to his wife. Have you noticed? You know, he doesn't, doesn't he? It's much easier to just say, yeah, he's a dreadful guy. He's a brother. He's a Christian. How's he going to become? He's meant to become mature with one another. It says in the New Testament, with one another. So I need to get close enough to sometimes be able to say to a brother, hey, brother, I noticed in conversation you sort of cut your wife dead. I mean, how dare I say that to somebody? if I'm not close. And so, we're not, you know, our walk with God, is what we're talking about, in the end, in the Bible, is something we do together. But you can't suddenly leap great distance into someone's life unless you've built a bridge of affection and trust and relationship that you can go into areas which are quite dangerous. We won't come to holiness, we'll just endure one another's sin. And be, you know, the eggs don't go there, he doesn't like it if you go there. We don't talk about that. We're supposed to be believers, mature, free. And so we need enough relationship to get close enough to one another. And so team needs to be as close as it possibly can be. I was once asked by one, and I think we had a, I've forgotten what you used to call it, frontier year or something, uh, and young people doing a year out. Uh, and once, just random question time, I had a session with them, and one said, what, what's, what's important in team leadership? And I didn't think much, but I, I just said vulnerability. And I think it's true. You see, a, le a team leader, and some of you are team leaders, Vulnerability is important so that anyone can speak into your life. If, see, if you don't show any vulnerability, it's like, as a team leader, it's like, I don't really need you because I'm the team leader and I'm supposed to have all the answers and I'd like you all to look like me, please. But a good team isn't like that. A good team draws on the various gifts and strengths and celebrates the diversity in the team. Otherwise, you don't have a team. You have a team leader and you have clones who just have to be like you. It's like the Margaret Thatcher joke, isn't it? When 
They said uh, to Margaret Thatcher at some restaurant, what would you like? And she said, I had the steak. And they said, what about vegetables? Oh, they'll have the steaks as well. <laughs> now, we, we, need, we need diversity and we need vulnerability. And it isn't that the team leader has to have all the answers. The team leader can affirm somebody else who's got the answer. The team leader can give, give strength. Oh, that brother saw it. I hadn't seen that. That's terrific. And, and so we're, we're in this. We really are a team. And we realize those things that other people can do that you can't do. I thank God for the diversity of the teams I've had and worked with. The terrific giftings. I know when we first did the Downs Bible Week, I thought, Grace, how do you do a Bible week? I, I thought, you know, somebody said you ought to do one because we're all traveling up to the Dales in those distant days. And somebody said, you should do one. I thought, oh, yeah, I suppose we should. Well, how do you do that? And I spoke to Nigel Ring. And he kind of rubbed his hands together and said, that'll be fun, won't it? And I thought, fun? And when, and when we finished Stonely, Nigel Ring said to me one day, did you know, which of course I didn't, there were a thousand job descriptions at Stonely. Oh, I had no idea. I know, I just turned up and preached. Because <laughs> he has, he was, you know, I thank God for his gift. I thank God for the gifts that have enriched my life. I don't have to be everything to everybody. And, and so part of our walk with God is we do it together. If you're a lonely, isolated, we're never meant to be isolated. That's not Christianity. You know, it's wonderful to read about great heroes but teamwork is fundamental to how the Bible would have us to walk. And I think there needs to be, there's nothing that can't be said in the room. We need to have teams where there's nothing you can't say. You say, how dare you say that? No, of course you can say that. We can all say whatever. We're a team. We're a team. Because if, 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 there's nothing, if there are things you can't say in the room, they get said in the corridor. In the corridor, the two or three who didn't agree what you said, they talk. There's another team happening. Because I didn't say it in the room, so I say it in the corridor. And we need to, well, anything could be said. And then you don't, I mean, you don't fear, are there corridor meetings going on? Because anything that could be said could be said in the room. And that's so important for us to build healthily. We're all in this together. We can have our dif disagreements. We can have our differences. We can walk them through. But if you can't walk them through in the room, then you're just pushing, 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 and, and the little other little meetings happening, and you don't know if you've got a team or not. So for me, being together is fundamental. Living it out. Is, so you lead. You know, you, if you know you're gifted to lead, lead. Lead. And, and you will feel that sense of, there's a certain amount of loneliness for the ultimate leader. A certain amount of loneliness, that sense of, no, I know I've been called to lead. And so you will sometimes feel that, a kind of slight loneliness in it. But if it's all loneliness, you've lost the plot. We're in this together. So you must lead, but you don't lead by imposing your will on everybody else. You lead by inspiring a team, drawing on their strengths, thanking God for these people who are in your ranks. I think of, you know, I think of, I think of someone like, for me, uh, I think of when we, we were 
at one of the Brighton conferences, uh, and Simon Pettit, whose name might not be known to this new generation, I realize, and came up and preached a stunning word about the poor. And it had been something of a blind spot. It wasn't part of our reputation. And it was like, wow. Well, it affected us profoundly. We didn't feel, hey, come on, sit down. You're just a team member. No, 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 it's all, let's learn from God. This is huge. So we responded to it. And so, hey, thank God you've got a man who can see that in your team and bring in what was not there. And strengthen who you are. So to to me, it's it's massive to have the pleasure and privilege of teams where people have inspiring breakthroughs. Some are more prophetic. Some are more administrative. Some are more, you know, for for me, I'm not brilliant at running a team meeting. So for me, I remember I asked one of our elders, would you lead the team meeting? And I knew I was the leader, but I'm not brilliant at working through the agenda because I would lose the timing and stuff. So, yeah, would you take us through the agenda? So, I, not, I don't have to say, I'm the t- I lead the agenda here, you know? So we need to have a light touch, but we need to lead. If you're gifted to lead, you need to lead. But you don't have to have your hand on everything. You can see various giftings come. Thank God for them, make room for them, applaud them. So, your walk with God it's got your own personal experience of his love, his favor. Celebrate it, enjoy it. Keep on, keep on, keep on. I tell you, when I, when I was reading through Shriner's commentary on Hebrews, I thought, oh, I see. I've never seen, why, why this stuff about angels at the beginning of Hebrews? I can never understand. Why does he talk about angels? Of course the angels are nothing. What's the point? And I suddenly, oh, I see. So I thank God that I, a commentator helped me understand I won't go into all that now, but it's, I'm just trying to illustrate, illustrate that God has given wonderful Bible teachers. So do keep reading. Read, not just in your Bible, Coventry, you know, whatever approach you have to the Scriptures. And we'll all have our different approaches, fine. But I think it, I would encourage you as leaders, keep reading fairly challenging books. Books you have to concentrate on. Books that stimulate you, theologically stimulate you. I find that very helpful. Keep reading. You know, what, reach for, listen for people who say, have you read this? Listen to things. Listen to people who you appreciate and admire, if you like. And when they recommend a book, listen. If I hear someone that I know has been a blessing to me recommend a book, I'm quick to follow that through. Because I want to keep learning. I want to keep... I wanna keep because I'm walking with God, I can understand more insights, more breakthrough. And if I get near a man of faith, I want to keep listening to him. I, I go back again to, good morning, Holy Spirit. What's his name? Benny Hinn. Now, he's not the greatest Bible teacher in the world. But his book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, is awesome. Because he's got an experience of the Spirit that is breathtaking. And so I go back to it again because I I just want to catch something of that intimacy of experiencing the Spirit. Now his theology, okay, I'll leave that to one side. But I've got to learn that guy I can learn that from, that guy I can learn that from. You know, I don't, he doesn't, oh, he doesn't, he's not, he's not fully reformed. I wouldn't listen to him. No, no, he's got insights. He's got faith. 
That's why we've had all kinds of people on our platforms over the years. They could lead us into something we've not been into. And we have to, we're not saying, I'm trying to defend this narrow path. This is New Frontier's values. Well, I hope we have values. But I, I want to learn. Have you got something to tell us? Something we can learn from? Hey, hallelujah. Let's get enlarged. So our walk with God is corporate as well as an individual, and my time has gone. So God bless you. Have a good day.